Welcome everybody to Divorce Etc. I'm THN Jessica, and today we are thrilled to have Sherry Mars here. She is, you're going to hear how amazing she is through this interview, but just so you know what she does as an ex-expert, she is an attorney now practicing full-time as a coach for individuals and couples, but so she has a lot of different perspectives as well as a personal experience, so she is a real life expert like we are. And today we're really going to focus on parent alienation. It is a topic that keeps coming up um, from our audience. So we decided to do a podcast about it. And we know that it's different when the kids are younger versus the kids being older and different stages through your divorce. So let's start by just welcoming Sherry to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you, TH and Jessica. It's my privilege to support the amazing work you are both doing out there with ex-experts. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I just want to say, like, I feel like we talk a lot about, and, and often in a joking way, like one of my rules of divorce is like, don't talk shit about your ex. And I feel like a lot of times people say things like that in a little bit of a lighter way, but like, that's really a huge issue and problem and legal issue if people are really going down that road. It sure is. And it's a complex issue. And I say that because if you read anything about parent alienation, you'll see that it's a very controversial topic. And it's an interesting piece of it because if it exists and and first let's name what it is let yeah, me let's define, let me share define it. If, that, if, if that's okay it's really when one parent works to damage and even eliminate their child's relationship with the other parent and it occurs without legitimate justification I think that's an important definition there's a lot packed in there and we will unpack that as we talk about this topic, but I think the really important piece is, yes, parents do talk shit about each other, right, uh, Jessica? Although we never, never would. Never, uh, <laughs> never. And and when they do, it can hurt a kid, right? Because they're part of the other parent and that's not a good thing to do. But there's a difference between making an offhand comment about what an asshole they are and systematically attempting to sever the relationship of your child with your co-parent. And that is a big problem and happens to people for a lot of different reasons, including that your former spouse has a personality disorder, is extremely toxic. They have a belief that you have a real problem, um, unjustified, most likely. So, so it can happen for complicated reasons and how we deal with it makes a difference and how they are dealing with it makes a difference. So it's really specific to the situation. It wasn't until recently that the American Psychological Association actually recognized it, right? So we haven't had a lot of data about it and that's been a problem. It's a hard thing to capture data about, but I think that's starting to change. So I think we can now talk a little more legitimately about the space this inhabits and, and what to do about it. I think another problem is that if this is happening, the courts aren't going to do anything about it. I mean, I know we have stuff in our agreement that you're not supposed to say anything about me. He's not supposed, you know, I'm not supposed to say anything bad about him, but is it, 
court even going to enforce that? Are they going to be like, listen, you two grow up, stop acting like children and, and be good parents. And, and, you know, like I, there are just people who said, this is happening. My kids aren't talking to me. He or she is gaslighting our children. And I, and I'm the bad guy. Like, what do I do? Are, is there any recourse with the courts, especially because we're talking about divorce right now? So it's an interesting piece. You know, you first of all, we all know you'd rather not be in court if you can avoid it. And of sometimes course. you can't avoid it. We, you know, a judge is not prepared to make the best decisions for your family simply because they don't know your family or your children like you do. Having said that, there are extreme cases where it's required. So occasionally now in various jurisdictions, they will allow expert testimony about parent alienation. Mm. But you're right that a lot of agreements say, don't talk badly about the other parent and there's no real enforcement mechanism. What are you supposed to do? Run to court every time you know dad or mom has said something negative? No, of course not. So really what we're looking for are patterns, bigger problems, and we ask parents to document that stuff. And, and with my clients, because I'm no longer giving legal advice, I coach them to keep journals, capture texts, screenshots, emails, be very clear about the evidence they have. Because if you need a legal consult, you need evidence. Because so many lawyers now hear my, my co-parents alienating me. And it's a broad brush. It's it's like narcissist. And we know there are narcissists and they're very real, but everybody uses, you know, these words. So I think it's really important that if you have a real problem, that you do what you can to document it. So what if you are having a problem, which I think is common, that you are feeling for whatever reason, the kids are either pulling away or you're like feeling a different vibe, things feel off, but you don't, you don't have either access to the kids' phones, you're not seeing texts from the other parent to the kids. Like, if you don't have proof, how do you get proof? It's easy, of course, to say journal and write this down, but that's assuming the kids are actually telling you things that that spouse, that that that, that ex-spouse is saying about you and or that you're overhearing it. Like, this is stuff that's happening behind your back. So how do you put that together? So great question. I think one of the most important things we have to do, and this is what I coach my clients to do, is de-escalate ourselves. It's really important we separate the threads of what's going on with kids developmentally and what's happening because of a co-parent, right? Developmentally, as we know, kids go through different stages. They may be pulling away for reasons having nothing to do with our co-parent, but if we are used to aligning in a negative way with that co-parent, we may blame them. And I, look, I'm not suggesting that's not real. I'm saying there are steps to be taken. So the first thing to do is recognize what's going on and understand to the extent you can what's going on with your child that may be separate from your co-parent. And if you recognize, look, I understand this is happening. And, and in some way, you have to have some empirical evidence, right? Because if you don't, you won't be able to do anything about it. Right. And, and, and I think another important point here, Jessica, is that what you do may be to take care of yourself, continue to attend to your children and love them because you are their parent. They love you. And if there is no enforcement mechanism, no real help, then it may be a waiting game. And that's a terrible answer. I recognize that, but we can't solve, right? All problems with a legal solution that exists in this space. 
would it help if you just like if you felt a disconnect with your child before you make any conclusions wouldn't the first step really be you know i'm feeling a little different here between us like tell me what's going on you know i can only help you if if you you know kind of give me some indication is something at school something at home something i did something with your friends like really to like- to your child about it like because you you're not if something's up with your relationship with your child you don't automatically think oh well it's her fault or it's his fault right. you, you would you would be like you know why are you kind of being a jerk yeah or I mean, why are you blowing me off or the, the tricky, whatever i think the tricky part is that when we are divorced there is that really like thin ice and that fine line of like where it seems like we're putting the kid in a position to now start talking about the other one by no, no, I didn't know. even mention the other ones. No, name. I know, I'm just but being like, I'm just checking in with sure, you. But the question Are is, will the kid, yeah, but will the kid actually say, well, dad's been saying all this bad stuff about you. Like, I feel like the kids, a lot of times, I wonder if they would really tell you what's going on if it has to do with the other parent. Cause now they're in the position of like, picking sides in a sense maybe worth the shot yeah I I think a conversation with your child is always a good place to start right show curiosity and what I loved about what TH named was she didn't mention her co-parent at all or anyone's co-parent and that is a great place for a launching point and then if you notice there's still not a shift get your child some support a third party neutral now The problem in parent alienation is often your co-parent will refuse to consent to something like therapy for the child, right? So, but it's, that's the red flag. That's a warning signal, obviously. So that may be a step at which you continue to persist and insist, and you can get legal support because most courts will err on the side of if a child is in distress, get them to therapy. And then there's somebody the child can talk to that's not you, not your co-parent, who may be disparaging you and say, my God, it's such a relief to tell you what mom's been saying about dad or vice versa. And I think that, I think Jessica's so right, it's tricky to navigate. And we never obviously want to go in with that agenda because we're always having to be so careful about not disparaging our co-parent. But in this situation, having a conversation is good. And then continuing to attend, pay attention and, and taking that next step of therapeutic support if needed. So what, so you said one red flag. So what are some other red flags that people can then kind of listen to this podcast and be like, wait a second, I check three of those red flags. This could be me. I think another big red flag is if your child starts talking about you to you in a disparaging way. They are highly critical of you, your habits, your personhood, and you don't know where it's coming from. It's a, it's a shift, right? And you're wondering where it's coming from. Now, again, teenagers start to do this kind of thing. So we have to be careful about where we're thinking this is occurring and why it's occurring. But, but that's another red flag. Or as we say, put your antenna up to pay attention. So there were times that that was happening with my son in particular. 
And I literally could hear his father's voice behind the words because the way that he was speaking to me is exactly the way I had been spoken to in my marriage. And I did confront him a few times and I was like, listen, I don't talk to you like that. Why are you talking to me like that? I didn't bring up his dad, but I didn't stand up for myself with his dad. And I'm not going to let my kids start bullying me. So I was like, this is not okay. Just so you know, because if no one tells him it's not okay, then he's going to keep doing it. And I'm not enabling another bad relationship within my family. That's a so, great. I mean, I definitely did it. It didn't always work, Yep. but you also have to, you know, create your own boundaries for bad behavior, even if parent alienation is the cause or not. I didn't have parent alienation. I just had him copying his father. And that was, that was pretty bad. So again, like it could be something, but it may not be parent alienation. That's right. And in any case, teaching your child, how you will be treated by them is an important skill. Right. So I think that's important. Another favorite that I hear and that I personally experience pulling back the the curtain a little is you're crazy. That's a favorite, a favorite. Right. Everybody feel all of our eyes roll when she said that. I know all of your eyes rolled, too. Right. And so noticing that and and also TH what you said about it triggering you because you heard your former spouse, and that's true for all of us. So sitting in that space is really hard and really triggering, and it may or may not be parent alienation. That's a critical step. So I wanna make sure we address the idea that we may play a role in this. And by that, I don't mean you are creating a situation ever that results in parent alienation. That's not okay. But understand your own triggers, understand what you may be projecting onto your former spouse that may be interfering with your relationship with your child. So I'm not suggesting that you don't do all those other things and document and flag and pay attention, but I'm saying we all have personal responsibility in these relationships with our kids. And sometimes we show up in a way right? That's less than hundred percent too. So with my clients, I'm always looking for ways to have them feel seen and heard and also take personal responsibility. So what would you say when it, it like extends beyond just the ex-spouse? Like, I mean, listen, we can, we all know that things, right. They say like from the mouths of babes, when your kids are little, they open their mouths and shit falls out. Then you end up hearing about stuff that your ex said about you because the kids are like, so unaware, right? They don't even realize kind of what they're saying. And maybe they become a little bit more careful as they get older. But I remember when my kids were little, um, stuff falling out of their mouths that the in-laws, or as I like to call them, the outlaws were saying about me, my kids spent a lot of time with them. And there were definitely some like rude and offensive things being said. And so where does that play into parental alienation or the idea of it, particularly because nowadays people do have family as caregivers helping out so much. I certainly think it can play a role. And I think it's up to us as individuals to understand that when that's occurring, we may have limited recourse. Mm -hmm. We will never have 
unless we're able to, you know, create a boundary so they never see their grandparents, for example, if we're using them. And who wants to do that? But what we can do is name in the moment that these things, I love that term falling out of the mouths of babes, right? Falling out of the mouths of our children, that we, we repair or correct whatever is said. If you're enjoying our Divorce Etc. podcast, be sure and subscribe to our newsletter to get ex-experts in your inbox. It's free and includes tips from real-life experts who've been through it, telling you what they wish they knew. You'll also hear about our upcoming episodes and Q&As with our experts. Plus, you'll find out about our upcoming events before anyone else and get access to discounts and preferred pricing. You can sign up at www.exexperts.com. When it comes to your relationship after divorce, do you always think it's your partner or ex's fault? It isn't, although it often can be. What role do you play and how can you unhook to do better for you in your divorce or co-parenting relationship? Sherry Morris is a lawyer and now a full-time divorce coach. She has a unique niche in this field because she works with couples as well as individuals to help them decide about divorce, reduce conflict during it, and do better post-divorce to de-escalate conflict and take care of themselves. She can facilitate difficult discussions to improve how to decide to move forward, and her transformative model of mediation coaching will change how you view your interactions and yourself. To learn more, check out Sherry's website, www.deardivorcecoach.com. Sherry also has an awesome co-parenting course and guide to co-parenting with your ex called Co-Parenting, What It Is and How We Do It. Click the store on her website and use the code XEXPERTS for a discount. I have a current client who's the former Olympic athlete whose former in-laws suggested her kids were very lucky not to have gotten her hair because it's so coarse. And it just so happens, of course, she has brown skin and her former husband has light skin. That sounds like so, a very racist comment. <laughs> well, exactly. And 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 the way she she handled it was to name not that her in-laws were deeply racist in that moment. Her children are very young but to suggest there are all kinds of hair people can have and that her hair is really fun because sometimes it's wild and their hair might be like that too. So it can be deeply offensive. And let me name, that's just racism and it's not okay and should not ever be endorsed. But how you deal with your kids in that moment is different than correcting a societal problem. Sure. So let's get back to alienation. You're, let's say your kids, let's say you got a divorce and you initiated it, and now your kids are not talking to you because the other spouse is saying that you ruined the marriage, it's you broke fault. up the family, this is your mother's fault or your father's fault. We can use father if you want, but your mother's fault. And now the kids are not speaking to her. She's been a stay-at-home mom, and, and I'm sure that this happens a lot. And it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking when you've spent your whole life raising your children and now they're not talking to you. It is heartbreaking, TH. And I have curiosity in these situations always to first hear the story and understand their perspective. And then as we start digging a little deeper, I wanna know how she is trying, for example, to reach out to her kids, what interactions work and which ones don't. How are they naming what's happening in the relationship? And is she attending to boundaries perhaps that they have set for her? 
it's not that it is her fault, and I want to make that clear, or his fault, but it is important once they're adults to recognize that they get to set boundaries. So even if they were influenced by a toxic co-parent, even if there was parent alienation, they are now adults and get to decide. So it probably is one of the most painful situations I see, but I, I always work to have parents try to repair because there is now no legal remedy, is there? Because they're adults. So how do you repair that? Like, what are the tips? What should you do to reach out to a child who's kind of pulled away from you? And who doesn't so I think, responding and who doesn't want yeah. to hear from you and is right. about telling you that they don't want to hear from you and ignoring you. Right. So that is a delicate situation because I do want to consider having parents continue to reach out episodically, periodically on a schedule and see if something has softened and changed. See if there's a way that you can meet them where they are. And the answer may be no. And it may take a long time. I've seen cases in which it's taken years to even have a dialogue. But if there are ways they are willing to speak to you, even if it's only via text, take those opportunities. Um, have that phone call once a year. I, it's, it's not enough, but it's better than, for example, what I see people in pain doing is saying, if your dad hadn't then it wouldn't be this way. So it forces the child further into that polarization. And that does the family system no good at all. And it's it's a tragic situation. We know of some tragic situations like that. And I'm thinking of one in particular, and I'm kind of wondering, I mean, it, it's so it's it's um painful to watch because this parent and the daughter have not been in touch in several years. And the daughter is um, finishing high school. So to your point, like she's mature enough to be able to have her own opinion and decide, you know, whether or not she wants to have this relationship. And on the one hand, I can't help think to myself, um, what kind of issues are going to be exposed later when you don't have a relationship with one of your parents, because the, there has to be baggage that comes along with that later. And then also on the side of the parent who, who try, who's trying to reach out and is being rejected, like, how long can you keep trying and keep like bringing the pain on yourself before you, I don't want to say give up because I mean, it's your child and you're the parent. And so of course you never want to give up, but at the same time, like parents do successfully alienate their children to a degree where it's irreparable. Yes. And I think for all of us as mothers, we probably would always persist and create some good. I like to think of it as a bubble around us that that, that pain doesn't penetrate. So it becomes more reflexive. We're going to keep trying. We're going to hold that space of love for our child. But we've now created a boundary where it's not it doesn't always feel like a sword piercing us. And over time, that takes work. It, it takes authentic understanding of oneself to know what role we may or may not have played in the situation, that this is part of our life journey. As we know, being an adult is a hard thing and bad things happen to good people. So from my perspective, what I've seen clients do is continue to persist, but create a boundary and look in their life in another direction for fulfillment and joy and not just seek it in this parent-child relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting that's easy, by the way. I'm simply saying that it may be a necessary reality. So no, that's really interesting, you know, just 
stay focused on the things that bring you happiness and joy and, and expand those while you continue to, you know, reach out to your child, but don't put all your eggs in one basket. Cause it'll, it'll eat you alive. And I by the way, kids are pretty smart, right? And over time, I've seen situations in which they start to figure out what's happened. And it may take That's a long hope, time, right? Like that later, somehow there will be like an epiphany and the kid actually will turn around one day and be like, wow, look at what they did and all the effort they put into it. You hope. Right. But if you give up a relationship with them and they come to that realization, you want them to know the door is always open. Of course. Like, don't be yes. afraid to call me, even though we haven't yes. spoken for such a long time. Like, you know, so even if like what Sherry was saying, like if that child's only giving you once a year, then take the once a year, because if they're like, holy crap, you know, I, I, this is important. I'm a mother now, or I'm a father now. And, you know, I want X, Y, and Z. They have to know that they can still have that relationship with you. And, and, And notice it would be really easy because we're just humans too, to get resentful, right? Sure. Kid, not just the, and so when they call and you're like, Oh, now you call. Right. What not, the hell do you want? Yes, exactly. You can see. I mean, let's happening. be realistic. Right. And so you know how much hurt work. you've caused me over 12 years. You probably want to like spew it all. And then that's going to backfire. And so your work in this journey and this long game of perhaps years is to always be prepared for that call, right? No matter what else triggers you in your, your life, if that's important to you, then know that, name it, be ready to take that call and say, oh, honey, I'm so happy to hear from you. What's going on with you? Don't lead with, and here's how hard it's been for me. Right. So, I I mean, I do feel like this conversation could go on forever, but I just have like one last question before I think we're going to have to wrap things up, which is like, how do you propose people have the conversation with their ex-spouse if they feel that they do have the proof, they've seen the pattern of constant alienation, the messages, things being passed on to the kids. Um, we we have heard, and I don't know if it's a state specific thing, that parental alienation is illegal, and that and that in theory there are legal ramifications that can come of it if you can prove it to that extent. But I guess my question is like. Do you have a conversation with the other parent? If it, now, if they are, if they're, if they're doing that, you know that conversation is not going to go well. Or do you not? Is that not something to go down that road? I think if it's that extreme, your best, your best next move is to get legal advice. And I want to be clear about that. I am not one that advocates court in most situations. I want to not be in court. But if it is that extreme, get legal support and your lawyer and your jurisdiction can tell you what steps you should take. And maybe you should communicate with your former spouse and say, I think this is happening, or maybe you shouldn't. But let's find out what the best practices in your jurisdiction are, what what support really exists for parent alienation where you are, especially if the children are young enough that this could go on for a period of time while they're minors. So you know, if you're dealing with someone who, who alienates you, you're dealing with a really toxic person. Yes. So also to keep throwing yourself in harm's way is not a very successful place to be. No. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, I think so this great. conversation, yeah, it's so deep and it happens so frequently and I, and we have to continue it and particularly even continuing it on the, on the level of like, 
when it hasn't crossed the line of parental alienation, but just the, you know, the negativity and a lot of the stuff that most of us deal with on a regular basis, once we are divorced, there's always a lot of that happening. And, and it's an issue that um, a lot of people have to learn how to deal with. And the it's, whole journey, especially when they're young, yeah. like our kids between me and Jessica, they were all under the age of eight. Like they didn't, they didn't know anything. So watching them grow up and figure out, oh, that's puberty. Oh, that's being just a jerk or that's like girl drama or, you know, like kind of going through it with them as Jessica and I have with our kids so far. Um, and we did not experience parent alienation for very fortunately. And we empathize with all of you who are, um, but we went through plenty of stuff. And there are so many times where I'm like, it's this, Emil has nothing to do with that. He's right. just 16 and he's being a jerk. I'm sorry. I'm like trash talking my son. She's being 15 and she's being like a bitch, you know? So I'm not just saying all the boys, but just go on the journey and really like figure out where am I at right now in my life? How am I dealing with my own stuff? Where are my kids in their life? Like Sherry said, meet them where they are. That's so much of what I do with my son with anxiety right. in particular is I've, and that's training everybody. And so back to it, Jessica and I always say, get a really good therapist. It's the best money ever spent because that's someone who can challenge you and kind of help you see new perspectives and help you strengthen skills that you need to strengthen. So I think all of what Sherry said was, was really important. And, and yeah. then when you can name it, whether they're being a jerk, a bitch, or it's parent alienation, then you can focus on that instead of being confused and having tons of messages running around your head. Yeah. So, well, thank, thank you, you so, much. so much for taking the time to join us and to talk about this. Like we said, it's an ongoing conversation. We will definitely revisit it. Anyone listening, let us know what your questions are, your concerns. You know, we these are things we can pass along to Sherry. We can do um, more, have more conversations about it and answer your questions moving forward. So let us know how we can help and we'll see you next time.